Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. This very special edition of the Real Deal Podcast as we look at our best actors of the decade on this second of January 2020. That sounds, man, it sounds different. 2020. Happy New Year to everybody out there. We are, of course, streaming live right now on my YouTube channel. Go check that out, Real Deal Podcast. Um, a lot to talk about on this podcast. Of course, we will, this podcast will be seen also on um, Block Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple.iTunes.com, and a number of other various platforms where we can be seen or uh, where we can be uh, seen and heard. Um, a lot to do on this podcast. I want to get to some things before we get into uh, my top five actors of the decade and... Um, there's a lot going on. Um, as of yet, as of right now, and I just checked this, uh, J- Jason Garrett still has a job. Still has a job. So we'll get, but we'll get to that a little bit more. I would be just uh, wouldn't be doing my job if I did not begin this podcast with the uh, talking about the death, the passing of one uh, David Stern at the age of 77. Of course, David Stern was in uh, critical condition for a couple of weeks with the brain hemorrhage that he suffered. Uh, about I think it was December, December 17th, uh, right before Christmas. Right before Christmas, he uh, passed away. Passed away yesterday and uh, leaves leaves behind a legacy that will never be forgotten as NBA commissioner. Uh, without question, one of the great commissioners in the, in the history of all the sports, one of the most impactful commissioners in the history of, of, of all of all the sports. Um, David Stern was was a bulldog. Uh, he was he was as tough and as smart as they come. Um, like I don't I, and I think David Stern was perfect, came along perfect for the era that he was in. He was commissioner from '84 to 2014. There were some that might argue that he probably he could have probably might have stayed three or four years late, but I got a sense that he had that date of retirement. He wanted to be 30 years. He already had a succession plan with Adam Silver uh, taking over. He already had that put in place back in you know as early as 2012, maybe even before that. But um, I don't think David Stern could be commissioner like in 2020. With the player empowerment, I don't. I, I'm not sure how that how that would have uh, worked out. To be honest with you, David Stern believed in doing, uh, doing things in the way that, not so much his way, but in the way that he felt was in the best interest of the game. And that's where Adam Silver is going to make a decision at certain at some point. Um, it's one thing to be a a players commissioner. He's been called the quote unquote players commissioner. At a certain point, there's going to come a time where David, where Adam Silver has to make a decision on whether he was going to be the players commissioner or what's in the interest of the best, what's in the interest of the NBA. And there will be no question that David Stern will make a choice of, of doing what's in the best interest of the NBA rather than choosing what was in the best interest of the players. He would choose the NBA uh, every day of the week and, and five times on Sunday. Uh, this was a guy that vetoed the Chris Paul trade. This was a guy that um, oversaw, oversaw lockouts. This was a guy who threatened to lock out the players in the, for the entire season. Um, he, t- he once told Derrick Rose, I know where the NBA, and I'm 
I'm giving you this quote as much as as, 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 as close as I can come to it. Uh, paraphrasing it. I know where the NBA bodies are are let are buried because I put some of them there. That's what he told Derrick Rose at the uh, at the All Star game back in 2011 when Derrick Rose was MVP. Derrick Rose was actually impressed by the statement. Was actually impressed by the the, the fact that he uh was impressed and shocked uh, that David Stern would say something like that. But this guy was he's been called a tyrant. He was whatever you want to call him, whatever you thought about him. The one thing you cannot deny deny about him was his leadership. He was a leader, alpha male through and through. And he, you knew that David Stern was a commissioner. Like there was no if and there was no question who was calling the shots in the NBA. None. Even listen, we joke all the time about Roger Goodell working for the owners and you know at the owners' behest and, and what have you. That was not the case with David Stern. Now, he would do things in the interest of, of individual teams. He listened to the owners, but you did not get the sense that he was working for the owners. That that was not that was not the I, I didn't see that as the I never thought that over the course of the time I watched the NBA and when David Stern was commissioner. That he was that he you know, that he and now again, he the Chris Paul trade, the Chris Paul veto in the Chris Paul trade was was due in large part of owners complaining. But I don't think David Stern wanted to want that trade to go through himself, to be honest with you. So I, I think David Stern was a I, I was a transcendent game changing owner. You look at the just look at the numbers. I mean the league in terms of how much they how much each team is worth, the television money, overseeing the ABA NBA merger, um Expand the league from 23 to 30 teams. The global aspect of the league, like that dream team situation, the dream team of 92, that was David Stern. That was David Stern wanted to uh, expand because he was somebody who saw, who could see into the future as far as knowing that hey, we had these, we go there with our best players. Besides the fact that we had lost in the 88 Olympics and and lost and end up winning, uh, you know, getting a silver medal. Besides that. We take our best. We take our best, the best players in the world. And at that time, the best players in the world were end up being like ten or eleven Hall of Famers. They were the guys that were left off the team that were Hall of Famers. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was even on the team, and he was the future Hall of Famer. But that dream team in '92 was one of the greatest teams of all time. Not basketball, just in sports in general. That is one of the greatest teams of all time. That was David Stern, and he was similar to uh, Pete Rozelle. Pete Rozelle had the, <coughs> the NFL had the vision of what television could do for the NFL. David Stern had the vision of what not only what television could do, but what um, the NBA overseas what that could do to grow the league. So he had he saw that before anybody else. Uh, Magic Bird Jordan. He was you know as much as I say that he wasn't a players own players commissioner. He was the he was smart enough to know that. The league was about the players, that you had to market the players first and foremost. Started with Magic and Bird, then, of course, take it to another level with with uh, Michael Jordan in the um, in the mid-80s, in the, uh, in the mid-80s going into the 90s. So, again, one of the greatest commissioners, if not the greatest commissioner in the history of professional sports, uh, one of the toughest, one of the smartest, and, again, when you look at leadership, I think about leadership. You're not going to like every decision that a that a great leader makes. 
I mean, look at presidents. You're not going to like it. You know, I remember when Obama was in office, everybody was saying, you know, what is he doing? Da, 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 complain about, you know, complaining about this move, that move. Now, now Obama, uh, three years removed uh, out of office, looks like one of the greatest presidents of all time. That's that's how it goes. Some that's how it goes a lot of times. But in the moment when David Stern was commissioner, you knew David Stern was a was you knew you were dealing with somebody who was one of the best at what they were doing, one of the best ever at what they were doing. And you know, I again the Laker thing with the, the Chris Paul veto trade, veto and Chris Paul trade will always stick in my craw personally uh, because I knew what that could what that what that, what that could have done for the Lakers. In terms of extending their championship window uh, past Shaquille O'Neal and even past when Kobe Bryant was past his prime, but I have to be fair. Um, I, I think his David Stern's proudest moment, a greatest moment in my book, is how he handled the Magic Johnson situation. He Magic Johnson. It was no coincidence. Coincidence that Magic Johnson was his favorite player. Um, he, he repeatedly said that over the course of his career that Magic Johnson was his favorite player of all time. And he handled that situation as, as well as you could possibly handle that. Welcoming Magic back into the league, getting doing research on uh, HIV, and you know uh, that you know I I don't know if, how many commissioners would have done that would would not would have not cowered under the the um, ignorance of of HIV at that particular time back in the, in the early early nineties. I mean, we all thought that Magic was going to die. Everybody in the league. Everybody around the world probably thought that Magic Johnson was going to die. And um, he welcomed Magic Johnson in the league. Magic Johnson decided to come back. He supported it a thousand percent. And uh they you know, guys and you know, you know, it started you see players who cut themselves or would get cut on the court, the game stops. That started back in the uh, you know, Magic Johnson era, back when Magic Johnson was coming back from uh from HIV, and that started with David Stern, you know, help implement that that policy, that that particular policy of, of of guys, you know, stopping the game when a guy got cut and what have you. But um, he was a, again, he was a giant amongst giants, and without question, whether you again, whether you agree with him, disagree with him, and um, certainly the NBA uh, will miss uh, one David Stern uh, who passes away at the age of uh, 77. As far as um, Jason Garrett goes, he still has a job. He still has a job as of now. We will record this podcast on a uh, Thursday afternoon. Uh, this is this is probably the second or third meeting that they've had, at least uh, the second meeting that they've had um, with the Joneses and, and Jason Garrett. And here's my take on it. We thought about it yesterday. I think that they – I think he will be I, – I think he's going to be the coach come 2020, he's going to be the coach, but he's not going to be the coach. I think that he will be the title of head coach, but he will have zero, zero power. You have, you know, Chris Richard, if he doesn't get hired by one of these teams as a head coach, run the deep, run the defense. You have Kellen, Kellen uh, Moore run the offense and Jason Garrett will be, I, I just think, holding the clipboard. I don't. I think that's what they're negotiating. How much can we strip power from Jason Garrett? How much? How like how much power can we strip without it seeming like we're stripping all of his power? That's why I think that's what. That's why I think they're negotiating right now. And you want you you think to yourself, well, why, well, what in the hell? What is Jason Garrett thinking? Why would he accept that? 
no one's knocking down Jason Garrett's door to be head coach or to be a coordinator for that matter. They're very, he has uh, no options as far as I'm from what I've heard and from what I've heard or read. I, I, no one's knocking down Jason Garrett's door to be, to be coaching their team next year. So it's not like he can just leave today and be hired tomorrow. That's not going to happen. When you're dealing with Jerry Jones, and one of the reasons why Parcells left early, one of the reasons why the Jimmy Johnson thing didn't work out after a certain period of time is Jerry Jones is never going to take a coach that is going to challenge him. He's never going to deal with a coach that has power or going to want that was going to want power. That's what's that is what has held the, the Cowboy franchise back from being a Super Bowl championship caliber franchise. Um, because you have to have a coach that knows it. You have to have a coach that knows what they're doing. You have, you can't have a puppet on the sidelines. This is not going to work in today's NFL. So I think that that the Joneses had in mind their coach. I I, I definitely think that they once wanted to fire Jason, that they wanted to fire Jason Garrett, despite the relationship that they have, that Jerry Jones has with Jason Garrett. Known him a long time. Of course, Jason Garrett was a long time backup quarterback uh, for the Cowboys. But I, I I think that those guys that they had in mind just don't want to be there. Whether it was a Lincoln Riley, whether it was an Urban Meyer, whoever, they're not going to accept Mike McCarthy. Then those those coaches are control freaks. They are not going to accept the terms of coaching with Jerry Jones on top of them, and with Jerry Jones calling all the shots, GM wise. Basically, I mean, who who knows the stuff that Jerry Jones is in terms of? I I don't think Jerry Jones is calling plays, but I think Jerry Jones influences. Um, he's he, I think he has an influence on some of the things that go on on the field as far as personnel. I, I do think Jerry Jones is, is 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 more is more heavily involved in what we even realize. Now, Jerry Jones is taking a step back as far as personnel, as far as scouting and, and, and that and what and maybe drafting to a lesser extent he does not because he wanted to draft johnny menzel along you know back in 2000 and uh i want to say 2013 draft but they talked him out of it he was talked out of it thankfully for them because menzel was menzel has been a, uh menzel has been a disaster since but i just think that for jerry jones you know in his mind he's not going to choose somebody that uh, is going to challenge him. He's not going to choose. He doesn't want to choose a non-cowboy for that matter. I mean, he might, if he can't get, if he couldn't get an Irving Meyer or Lincoln Riley or somebody of that ilk or somebody that he had in mind, he probably would want to choose a cowboy. I mean, if you, had, they, if you look at the Cowboys coaching staff and look at their organization, there's a bunch of just ex-cowboys uh, working, within the, working within the Dallas Cowboy organization, which is part of the problem. Because there's no outside opinions. You need some outside voices, some some forward thinking, outside opinions other than other than a cowboy, other than a, a, a current or a ex cowboy, uh, you know, giving giving their perspective. So, from his perspective, why not bring back Jerry? Why not bring back Jason Jarrett in a capacity where he does where he's not making decisions that are going to impact what happens on the field. That's the only that's the only explanation I could have that I have for this extending beyond Black Monday. Now we are talking about, you know, Thursday when other teams are hiring coaches and coordinators. 
So I think Jay, I think Jason Garrett will be the coach. I think he uh, will be the coach with just no power. I don't think he'll have any power if he's the coach. Um, again, very strange situation. Uh, very a uh, situation that I mean, you even heard. I've even before I came on the air, even heard reports that there may be a co. Might, he might have a co-coach, and there might be a co. There might be two coaches, which is. Only the Cowboys. Well, I guess the Redskins would do something like that as well. Uh, but, I mean, they're not. But that's, that. you know, bringing in, uh, I, I wouldn't, if the Redskins did something like that, you wouldn't be surprised. But uh, there's been talk about that. So, who knows what happens with them. Uh, again, the Joneses have made, they are not in the rush at all to, to make a decision. They're not making a decision based on any time frame seems like as far as getting another coach from another organization uh, coordinator uh, these jobs move these jobs are moving are going to be moving quickly you're going to see a lot of these jobs get uh, the giant job a number of these jobs are going to be um, now you see guys Marone will be back for Jacksonville um, Quinn and uh, Quinn will be back for Atlanta but you still have you still have a number of other jobs that are still that are, st- that are going to be open. Uh, the Giants' job is going to be open. Rivera, of course, is hired by by Washington. Um, so the Giant job is the, is, the, is the next big one to uh, t- the Giant job is open. Cleveland job is open as well uh, as well. So these jobs are going to be going before you know it. Like but by this time next week, I, I predict that all these jobs, maybe by even by the end of the week, that all there will there will be no open jobs in the NFL because guys have to get in their staffs. They have to, I mean, the most important part of it is not just, you know, obviously getting a job, but you have to, if you're an incoming coach, a new coach, you have to get your staff. You have to get your staff. You have to get your, your coordinators. You have to get your staff. And that is not easy because you have guys be signing with their teams. You have guys who are also interviewing for other, other head coaching jobs. So it's a lot of moving pieces at the end of the season. And you don't have, you don't have time to be waiting. So, like, I, I, so the longer this goes on, the more and more you think that Jason Garrett will be back with the cow with the Cowboys in some capacity, uh, probably on the sidelines. I, I just can't. Listen again. I just can't see Jason Garrett. Um, if Jason Garrett was going to make another choice as far as saying, you know what, you know, forget this. I'm, even though even if I don't get a job, even if I don't get another job um, head coaching, I'll just you know take a year off. He's not even doing that. Like Jason Garrett is not, he's not even willing, he's not even gonna do that. It seems like. Like Jason Garrett seems like he's going to be it's gonna be a situation where either he was just gonna get outright fired or he was going to be it's gonna be the head coach of the Cowboys in some some way, shape, or form. So we'll see what happens with that. Um certainly it could that could change by the hour, by the day, it could change by the hour. And who knows who who knows with the uh with the Cowboys. But we're going to get on to the business of our top five actors, actresses of the decade. We're just doing actresses of the decade. It was very difficult, as you might think, choosing five, five people from a, basically a pool, a pool about 25 to 30 actors who I thought were in consideration for this. Um, I My criteria is remember this is top five actors of the decade. This is not a lifetime achievement award. 
this is also a personal award in terms of which actors, actresses did I impacted me as a viewer? Who was I going to see in the movies? Who 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 am I watching or when I'm watching on television? Who am, who who am I gravitated to? Not just who's winning the most awards or who's getting nominated for Oscars and or other awards or who's part of movies that are making the most money, things of that nature. It it was this was a more of a personal uh, award, uh, personal thing for me as a uh, as a as a uh, film as somebody who watches movies, watches a lot of movies, somebody who loves uh, loves you know loves acting as far as uh, just loves watching. Um, great actors and actresses perform. Coming in at number five, Regina King. Um, now, this came down between her and Viola Davis. It was very difficult between those two. I think ultimately what done what did it for me was I thought Regina King, her choices, her television choices have been just perfect, near perfect over the course of the decade. She's been in um, Watchmen, American Crime, The Leftovers, Shameless, The Big Bang Theory, from from the start of the decade to the to the end. Of course, she was nominated for if if Bill Street could talk and won Best Supporting Actress. And you know, I looked at her as in comparisons to Viola Davis. Viola Davis, of course, won the was had been nominated for two Oscars. For the help and also fences, she won for fences. She should have been best actress for fences, but that's a whole another story. And she also is, of course, a part of the the hit show, long time hit show, how how to get away with murder. Um, I think the difference with me was just I thought Regina King was just more consistent in terms of just had a just had more had had more uh, quality of work had just on her resume, more shows, more quality shows. On her resume, I, I pound for pound, I think that Viola Davis is probably be, is probably better than Regina King. But again, this is a war a war for the decade. This is not a a this is not a entire for an entire career. And even if it was an entire career, probably would choose uh, Regina King's body of work is probably a little bit better. Remember, you know, Regina King was in Two Two Seven. She was in Enemy of the State, uh, Boys the Boys in the Hood. So she's been you know she's been around for a long time. Long, she's been around long, you know, longer than Viola Davis, but I think Viola Davis is probably the better actress, per se, pound for pound. But I thought Regina King had the better decade. Uh, she's just coming into her prime. I mean, Regina King is, I think, just turned is about is 49, 48, 49 years old. She makes great choices. It's not so much what you see her in; it's what you don't see her in. Like you're not gonna see Regina King make a. You, you, when is the last time you seen Regina King? In something you said that was garbage or it wasn't uh, of quality, it's just not going to happen uh, with her. And again, she's only going to get better in terms of the amount of roles that she's going to be with. With so many platforms, with so many, you know, Netflix and Amazon and all these different shows, she's going to get quality work because there's a there's a number of quality there's a number of quality shows out there in this golden era of television, and she's only she's somebody who only makes. The best choices. Um, that is what that is one of her strengths. Um, see her performance in in Bill Street Can Talk was a screen stealing performance. It was subtle. It wasn't over the top. Um, 
and uh, she is going to be around. She she could be on this list. I wouldn't. I'd be surprised if she wasn't on this list in the next decade. She could be maybe even be higher uh, next decade. So she gets the nod over Viola Davis. Um, and it was it was very difficult to keep Viola Davis off this list. I think Viola Davis. I can make it. Viola Davis is is without maybe outside of um, Viola Davis is a legit top five, top three actress without question. Maybe maybe top two. There's another person. There's another person. Only one other person. There's a person on this list who you can put over her. But uh, Viola Davis is a great actress. Uh, So, but Regina King comes in at number five. Coming at number four, Mahershala Ali. Again, he's had a big decade, to say the least, nominated for two Best Supporting Actors, Actor Awards, Moonlight and Green Book, won for both of them. You've seen him in House of Cards. You've seen him in A Place Beyond the Pines, True Detective. You've seen him in Hunger Games. Right now, similar to Regina King, he is just entering his his peak, his prime as an actor. He um, makes only makes... You look at some of the choices he made outside of the ones outside of the ones that I mentioned. You're not gonna see him in garbage. Now again, I didn't even like Green Book myself. I didn't even like Green Book, but he had a great performance. True Detective was was just phenomenal. Coming back after a four year hiatus, he was great in that. He was also in uh, Roxanne Roxanne on Netflix. Luke Cage. He was in Hidden Figures, which was a great movie. Um, you're not again. This is a guy who is going to watch the choices that he makes. You're not going to just see him in anything. Um, not going to just see him in anything. He's very careful about what about the types of uh, series and about, about the types of choices that he makes over the types of choices that he makes. Now, he was in Predators in 2010, so he didn't did not it, he did not start off the decade promising, but he certainly made up for being in Predators. Um, and again, that's 2010. He was just kind of felt like he was just getting his feet wet. Um, still young in his career, late thirties. Uh, you know, still, yeah, that, that was one of those roles you take for a check, which is that to be, that was, you know, so I, I understand that he's going to be very interesting coming up. He's going to be in blade. Um, that's been announced. It hasn't been announced when, but he's going to be in blade, but, uh, as a supporting, and again, a couple things, a couple questions about him. Can he be a lead? Can he be? Can because I think, you know, can he be a lead actor? He's been great in supporting roles. I can make a case that Green Book probably would probably was a probably was a lead role. Uh, can make that case, but I can understand they Vigo Mortensen got the uh, lead Oscar nomination in uh, in that movie. But um, the question is, and I guess the next step. Mahershala is can he carry a movie? Can he carry a movie? That that'll be the next step to we'll, and we'll see. Again, his choices might be so good that he might not ever have to have to carry a movie. That might be, I mean, and it's not a, it's not a bad thing. Can he be a leading man? We'll see. But right now, as a supporting character, as somebody, as a character who could be as a character who could be in ensemble films. He is uh, near or at the top of the food chain. He's he's, uh, he's tremendous, and certainly had one of the best best uh, decades. Had one of the best uh, decades of any actor in the business. Coming in at number three, one of my personal favorites, Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale 
has I've been a Christian Bale fan since Empire of the Sun back in 87 with Steven Spielberg. He has been consistently, this is a guy who you look at his decade, look at the decade he had. He was nominated for four Oscars for Vice, The Big Short, American Hustle, and The Fighter. He won, of course, for The Fighter, Best Supporting Actor. Um, he He's a guy who has has I think the thing that separates him is he can be a lead and a supporting actor and be equally as effective in those positions. There's not so many actors in the world who can do both. Even guys like Tom Hanks, Denzel, Tom Cruise, those guys are leading men. They can't play supporting roles in this stage in their career. They just they're too their 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 presence is so big on screen it, it wouldn't even look right. It wouldn't even look right. Those guys are leading men. Christian Bale's at a point in his career, and will be be very interesting to see if Mahershala Ali can get this level to where he can be both leading and supporting actor. Christian Bale can he Christian Bale can carry a movie. He can he can be a he can be an alpha male in a movie, or he can be an ensemble cast, something like American Hustle, uh, like American Hustle. Or the fighter, or the fighter, or he can carry a movie and be in a dominant. He could be the dominant figure like he was in Vice. So he has the ability to do both at a high level, which is very, which is very rare. Again, similar to Regina King, Marsha Ali, this is a guy that makes great choices. He makes great choices as far as the films that he's in. I can't remember the last time that Christian Bale was in a bad movie. And, you know, you want to say, well, Exodus, Exodus, Gods and Kings. I went to see that movie. That was not a bad movie. Now, was it great? No, but it was not a bad movie. Not at all. It was not a bad movie. Um, again, Darkman, over the course of the decade, Out of the Furnace, The Dark Knight Rises, some of the movies that he was in outside of the ones that he was in, uh, nominated. And he doesn't make bad choices. Um, he's somebody that will, uh, that, again, can dominate in both roles as being a lead and a supporting character. And he certainly had one of the best decades of uh, one of the best decades that an actor can have. Now, I got him, I chose him over Leonardo DiCaprio. And I, over the course of this, I will leave, I will let you know some of the actors that I left off here. And uh, one in particular that was, that was very hard. But, I, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio left him off this list. And I'm a Leo. I'm a Leo fan. He had a big beginning of the decade with The Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, Django Unchained. Did not end the decade. The last five years didn't. The Revenant. The Revenant was the was the movie that he won an Oscar for back in 2015. Last four years did not end well for Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, to me, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Eh, yeah. I, it was hard to leave him off this off this list, but again, when you make a list like this, you realize how long ten years can be. Because there were some guys that you would think that you know Brian Cranston, you would think that would be, could be on this list. Matthew McConaughey, um, the guy Steve Buscemi from Boardwalk Empire, but again, some of those shows ended like in 2013, 2014. Um, Matthew McConaughey, I didn't think ended the decade 
last four or five years, he began the decade on fire, but did not end the decade well, as far as I'm concerned. Like if this were taken in 2015, this is this if I made this list in 2015, there'll be it could be it could look like a completely it would look like a completely different list if I made this list in 2015. But a decade, a decade is a long time, and it's again it's hard to be consistent at a high level over the course of an entire decade for an actor or actress. It, it really is. So the one these choices that I made, these these guys, these you know these actors and actresses stand out as far as being consistent over the course of uh over the course of a decade so that was the that was the one thing and that's again that's the reason why i left um why i left uh christian bell not christian bell leonardo dicaprio off here so christian bell comes in at number at number three i've heard a lot of good things about four versus ferrari four versus ferrari um he could get another oscar nomination for that possibly that's 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 some talk around um, talk around Hollywood that he could get a, another Oscar, he could get another Oscar nomination for that, which would not be surprising. But regardless of that, um, he did have one of the best decades of any actor. And again, he's someone that just is not going to play in any movie. You're not going to see Christian Bale. Christian Bale will go away for two years before you see before you see him in some garbage. Um, now he made a movie in. Made a movie in every decade of every year of this decade, with the exception of 2000, and well, made at least one movie every year of the decade. Yeah, made a movie in at least one year and one every year of the decade. Coming in at number two, again, very difficult not to have this not to have this guy number one, but when you see number one, you'll see why I had that person number one. Denzel Washington comes in at number two. Denzel, over the course of this decade, was nominated for three Best Actor Oscars, Flight, Fences, and Roman J. Israel. He also was in The Magnificent Seven, uh, The Two Equalizers he was in. He did a play, The Raising in the Sun. Um, he was also in, uh, we had him in uh, Safe House, which I liked a lot, uh, Unstoppable with made a lot of money, but really wasn't one of my favorites. But here's the thing about Denzel Washington, who I think who you could make a case to, to be the greatest actor of all time. He could really he really belongs in that conversation. And this is what this is what separates Denzel from a lot of actors. Denzel could be in a movie where the script is bad, where everything around him the other character, the other actors are not, you know, are okay. He has the ability to be like LeBron James in Cleveland, raise his left, raise the level of his team, and he could do what LeBron did in 2007, take a team to the finals that had no business making it to the finals. And to me, that is absolute next level. When you can raise, when you can turn shit to sugar. Like there are movies that you look on Denzel's res, uh, his IMBD, and his resume, and you say, you put anybody else in this movie, and the movie will be trash. I remember I took my mom to see Roman J. Israel, Esquire. Not, it was a decent movie at best. It was only decent because Denzel was in it. Anybody else in that movie is going to be, I probably would have went to see it, but also the, the movie just would have been bad. He has the ability to raise. Even a movie like Two Guns, 
Okay. The you know the buddy action, buddy action comedy. He has the ability to raise the level of the movie on sheer presence, sheer ability, sheer talent, and he covers all the bases. Movie star, pure artist, um, Broadway character actor. He covers every every check mark you want out of an actor. Denzel covers. Period. And again, made ten movies this decade, and you never was you made yeah made ten movies this decade. Um, you never thought to yourself, well, Denzel's well, he's making too many movies, or he's working too much. Nah. But again, can be has become careful about some of the choices that he's as he's gotten older, he's not in as many movies as he once was. It slowed down a bit. Um, it slowed down a bit as far as that, uh, as far as making a, the number of movies that he makes. Um, he's he's doing other things. He's doing you know he he's doing production. He's doing uh, he's on Broadway. A matter of fact, he's doing pre-production for uh, for Lord Macbeth that'll be coming out. You know, I don't know, probably, you know, next year, this year, or maybe even next year. But again, it was hard, hard not to have Denzel number one for this decade. Very difficult. Very hard. It was. But the number one actor of the decade, um, and to me, this, uh, I don't know, this, I mean, you can debate, you can debate all you want, and you can complain about how many times she's been nominated all you want, but the bottom line is she is the greatest actress of all time. And I'm talking about Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, over the course of over the course of this decade, Meryl Streep was nominated for six Oscars, which is just insane. She's nominated for six Oscars um, over the course of the decade. She won one. She was in Big Little Lies. She was uh, in Big Little Lies, and her performance in Big Little Lies was nothing short of spectacular. Was nothing short of just jaw dropping. Like you hated that character. I hated that character. That's how good, when an actress gets gets that amount of emotion out of you. You know they're doing their job. And listen, I don't think Meryl Streep. And I, I've lost track of how many Oscar nominations she has. At least sixteen. I think she has sixteen to seventeen Oscar nominations. Matter of fact, no, twenty one. She's been nominated for Oscar 21 times. There are years where I don't think she should have been nominated. But you know what? When you get to that, it, it, I think there were years where the Academy was like, we ran, I guess we ran out of quality nominations. What did Meryl make this year? So I, I, I don't think that she should have been nominated every all the times that she has been nominated. But you can't deny, you cannot deny, deny the, the, you can't deny the resume. The resume speaks for itself when it comes to Meryl Streep. Again, she is the greatest actress of all time. Um, 21 Oscar nominations, three Oscar wins. Um, when she's in something, you know it's going to be of quality. She's not going to be in any. She's not. She her, her choices, she's very, very careful about the choices that she makes. And she's careful and prolific at the same time. Like, she made... Looking at the decade, she was in a bunch of stuff. And Meryl Streep was pushing 70. Meryl Streep might be, she might be 70. I'm looking at yeah, more in 1949. Yes, Meryl Streep is 70. So she was in a movie or in a, in a series 
each year of the decade, each year of this decade, she was in something. So she's working a lot. She's working a lot, but you know, she was in the post. You know, that I got that was a very good movie. Even movies that don't get as much uh critical acclaim that she was in, you know, you know it's gonna be something of quality if she's in it. And she's going again, her performance in Bigelow Lies. If you haven't seen now again, season one, Bigelow Lies is better than season two. But that was the overall story. I thought the overall, the overall story was better. I was more into the overall story of season number one, of season one than I was too. It wasn't about the performances. It was performances per se. It was about the story. But her, she was she was phenomenal in that. She she was she made season two her performance in Big Little Lies. And I, I encourage anyone to see it. It's on on HBO on demand. Uh, if you haven't seen, well, watch season one first. You can't watch season two without watching season one. But I, again, I don't know how you debate that her being not being the best actor of this decade, like even beyond just Oscar nominations um, with her and, you know, and you look at this lit with her and Denzel, Denzel just turned 65. Meryl Streep is over 70. Again, just getting better with age, just getting, and that's why I'm excited for Mahershala Ali and Regina King. That's one thing about an actor, about an actor, unlike most, unlike sports, unlike professionals in sports, you know, professionals in sports, have a time, you know, you have a short time span to where to where you can perform before it's over. When you're an actor, you're an actor, actress, your best stuff might not come until you till you're in your fifties. Or, or even sixties. Or for some cases, maybe some of maybe even seventies, if you're Christopher Plummer. I mean Christopher look at Christopher Plummer. This dude is winning getting out winning Oscars and getting nominated, having some of his best work and he's he has to be pushing, he has to be eighty. So that's why I'm excited about Marisha Ali and Regina King in regards to um, what their futures can look like over the course of, of this decade. Uh, I told you about some of the guys, some of the people I left off. Um, Bradley Cooper, I left off. Um, now, Bradley Cooper had a big decade, four Oscar nominations. He, A Star Was Born, American Sniper, American Hustle, Silver Lions Playbook. He also was in uh, A Place Beyond the Pines. I don't. I think Bradley Cooper is tremendous. Um, I didn't like the way he ended the decade with some of the performances, and I, I'll say this about Bradley Cooper. I, and this is this is what kept him off this list. And this is how this this is my personal thing. I'm looking at Bradley Cooper's resume because I know some of you Bradley Cooper fans out there are gonna be saying, "How could you leave somebody?" Who was nominated? Who got nominated four times for an Oscar in one decade off a list? And I'll tell you why. I'll show you why. I'll tell you why. He was in the, the Hangover Two and the Hangover Three. I mean, I mean, I mean, he had three duds over the course of the decade. Okay, the Hangover Two, the Hangover Three, and Aloha. I'm sorry, you can't be. You can't have the, you can't be one of the best actors of the decade and have three bad movies when you are in a position to where you could be picking and choosing. And he is he is in that position. Like Barry, Bradley Cooper is a a list actor. He's on that level to where he can pick and choose the roles that he's in. He doesn't have, it's not about a check anymore with Bradley Cooper. It's not. So that is what his choices. Those three duds kept him off this list. Otherwise, it was a he, it was a tremendous decade for him. Again, I told you, he got nominated 
for uh, three Oscars. I did not like A Star Is Born. That was it. Just you know, I understand the movie got critical acclaim. It just wasn't my. It just wasn't something that I um, that I liked that I was into that, that I thought of. But I understand a lot of people did. I understand a lot of people did like it. But Aloha, uh, the movie Aloha, um, The Hangover Two, The Hangover Three. Like, come on, like you can't. Those movies are hard. Those, the, the last two Hangovers were terrible. First one was good, great buddy comedy. You know, physical comedy, you know, slapstick. Last two, the last two shouldn't have been made. So maybe you know he was also in the place beyond the pines. That was great. Again, he had a he had a he, he had a big decade. Limitless was good. Was it, I thought Limitless was good. Even the eighteen, the eighteen was garbage. So yeah, I could I could say that I could chalk that was chalk that up as having four duds. So you have four duds over the course of the decade. Can't put you in my top five. You have four bad movies in a decade. That's a lot of bad choices. The A-Team, the two Hangovers, uh, sequels, and Aloha. I'm sorry, you, you can't make the list with that. But there are gonna be there are gonna be some Bradley Cooper fans who are you know who are gonna who are gonna want my head. You know, okay, you can have your own list. So, Meryl Streep number one, Denzel Washington number two, Christian Bale number three, Mahershala Ali number four, and Regina King number five. Remember. We have more content coming over the course of the week. Um, I'm going to tease. We may have a special guest tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see. A longtime guest of the program. Um, we're going to talk about the NFL, of course, the NFL playoffs. We'll talk about that come Sunday night or Monday morning, Sunday night or, or Monday evening or Monday night. Uh, a lot to do. A lot, lot to do on this opening, on this very first Real Deal Podcast 2020. Again, Happy New Year. Have a great rest of the week. I'm gone.